So Grace Church, as I was thinking about the passage today, um, it just struck me that no one has ever taught like Jesus taught. I mean, with such power and such authority and such tender compassion and such truth, no one has ever taught like Jesus taught. And a large part of his teaching was to bring us comforting words of encouragement. Comforting words of encouragement, like Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, I will give you rest. Comforting words of encouragement. But Jesus also gives challenging words of warning. Challenging words that are a little bit harder to hear sometimes. And that's what we're going to find in today's passage. We're working through the second half of Luke chapter 12. Now, why does Jesus give words of warning, challenging words of warning? Well, think about it. Why does a father say to his son or daughter, don't run out into the street? Why do your friends say to you, you're driving out into the desert, make sure you take lots of water? Or why do people say, back up your computer? The warnings are given because of care, because of love, because of concern. And the reason that Jesus gives his disciples in this passage and all of us who are reading, the reason he gives us these warnings is because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he wants to, to help us. So that's what's happening in the second half of Luke chapter 12. Jesus is giving his disciples and us warnings. Now here's some background to this passage. Jesus Christ, who has always been fully God with the Father and the Spirit, about 2,000 years ago came to earth, took on human flesh, born as a baby. We're going to be celebrating that in a few weeks with Christmas. And he came and grew up so that he could show us the reality of God. By the miracles he worked, by the love that he showed, he came to teach us what's really going on in the world. And he came in order to die on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who will trust him so that we could be saved, forgiven, brought back into relationship with God now and forever. So Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago. And Jesus explained that after he died, he would rise again and ascend into heaven. And then at some future point, he would return to planet Earth. And that when he returns, everything is going to change. He will bring world history to a close, he will judge every single human being. He'll judge you. He will judge me. He will judge all of us. And, and all those who have welcomed Jesus, who have embraced, trusted Jesus as Savior and as Lord, as God, as joy, as treasure, every one of us who's welcomed Jesus will be welcomed into heaven to be in the joy of his presence forever. But those who've, who've not welcomed Jesus, those who've rejected Jesus, will be cast into hell forever. Now, in last week's passage, Pastor Ben showed us from Luke 12, this section right before what we're looking at today, that Jesus gives his disciples and all of us a warning. He says, I'm going to come back, bring history to a close, but I'm going to come back at a time that you don't know. So he gives a warning, be ready. Don't get spiritually sleepy. Stay on the alert. 
So that was the warning he gave in last week's passage, and in today's passage, he gives three more warnings. Three more loving warnings. So let's read through verses 49 through 59. Then we'll walk back through these verses, and I'll point out each of these three warnings and try to explain them and then apply them to our lives. So verse 49, Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Three, loving caring, helpful warnings given to us by Jesus. So let's go through them one at a time. I'll try to explain them and then apply them. So the first warning is this. Jesus will bring division. Division. Start with verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. So Jesus came to, to cast a fire, to light a fire on the earth And he wishes that it were already started, that it were already kindled. And and the reason it hasn't yet been kindled is because something else needs to happen first before he can start this fire, kindle this fire. So what needs to happen first? Verse 50, Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with first. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So before Jesus lights this fire on the earth, he has to go through this baptism. So what is this baptism? And we might think, well, it's it's water baptism, or maybe being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but that can't be the case because that's already happened back in Luke chapter 3. This is Luke chapter 12, and he's talking about this still happening in the future, this, this baptism. So what is this baptism that Jesus must experience before he can kindle, light this fire on the earth. Now, I found a clue in Mark chapter 10, verse 38. See if this, if this helps you. It helped me. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 38. Here's the setting. James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, have just asked Jesus if in heaven they can have the two highest seats of honor, one on Jesus' right side and one on Jesus' left side. And here's Jesus' answer to them, Mark chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? So here he's giving two pictures of something that Jesus has to go through. One picture is it's a cup that he's going to drink, and that's used in Scripture often to describe the cup of God's wrath. And as Jesus was on the cross, he drank the cup of God's wrath that you and I deserve. He drank that cup for everyone who will trust him. He drank it down to the very last drop of God's wrath being poured about, out upon him on the cross. So that's the cup. Baptism is a word used here to describe the cross from another dimension. That is, when Jesus was on the cross, he was immersed into the wrath of God against our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God. He paid for all the wrath of God. And so the word baptism here in Mark chapter 10, verse 38, describes Jesus' death on the cross. The cup describes Jesus' death on the cross, and this baptism describes Jesus' death on the cross. Now, with that in mind, let's read verses 49 and 50 again and see if this starts to make more sense to us. Verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I've come to, to light a fire, to, to cast fire here, and I wish it were already going, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. First, I need to go to the cross, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. I mean, that word distressed, feel that. Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew the horror of the cross that awaited him. And because he loved you and because he loved me, because he was saving a vast multitude that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe, he went to the cross. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. So what's going on here in verses 49 and, and 50 is that Jesus first goes to the cross, he pays for sin, and then after he pays for sin on the cross, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and he pours out the, the fire of the gospel, the fire of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. On that same day, 3,000 more people are saved. There's fires lit in all of their hearts, and then the fire just continues to spread throughout church history. So the fire that Jesus pours out upon the earth is the fire of the gospel, the fire of the Holy Spirit, which the cross had to come first before that could take place, and now this fire is spreading throughout the world. But then Jesus warns us, this fire, it's going to produce division. Verse 51, do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus brings division through this fire of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Now, you might think, can I wait a minute? I know there's verses that say Jesus brought peace, aren't there? And there are. There's lots of them. Remember what the angels said to the shepherds back in Luke chapter 2, peace on earth and uh, among those with whom God is pleased. And then John 16, Jesus says, 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So Jesus does bring peace to everyone who trusts him. But then how does he bring division? What kind of division is he talking about? Look at verses 52 and 53. For from now on, in one house, there will be divided, five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So here's what this is saying. If you're trusting Jesus, then He is and He has given you peace. But He also brings division between you and those who are not following Jesus. He brings division between you and those who are not following Jesus. Now, let me explain a couple things that that does not mean. It does not mean that we followers of Jesus all move out into the desert and kind of have our own little cloisters where we have no one there who's not following Jesus because we're, we're separate from them. That's not what Jesus wants us to do at all. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He showed us how to live. He loves lost people. He wants us to love lost people, but still there is a division. There's a, there's a difference between us. Also, this does not mean that Jesus' followers are divided amongst ourselves. No, 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 no. The glory of Jesus that we behold, it, it melts pride, it dissolves cliques, it destroys racism or any kind of classism or any kind of divisions between us. When we behold and love and know Jesus and we meet somebody else who beholds and loves and worships Jesus, we love them. There's affection. You know, there's political differences or other kind of little minor differences. Who cares? They love Jesus. We are united. So Jesus is not talking here about division between believers. Believers are united together. But there's a difference between us and those who are not following Jesus. The fire of the gospel, the fire of the Holy Spirit, brings about a difference between those who are following Jesus and those who don't. And, and this is a loving thing that Jesus brings about. It's loving that He does this. Picture it like this. All of us in this room, every single one of us, and, and all of humanity, we have all been enslaved to sin. We've been chained to sin by our own choices. Willful choice, we are enslaved to sin. And it's like we're all prisoners chained to our sin, chained to each other, and clank, 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 we are being marched towards our execution. Here we go. We're all chained together in our sin. We're all moving ahead. But think about this. When you turned to Jesus and you cried out to Jesus to save you, remember that day when you cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. At that moment, because of his death on the cross, you were completely forgiven. The chains fell off. You were set free, and you were freed from the, the, this, this prison chained group of chained prisoners heading towards execution, and you became part of God's people walking in freedom. So this division that Jesus produced between you and lost people when you called out to, to be saved by Him, that is a loving thing because you were separated from being marched in chains toward your execution and you were changed to be part of God's people walking in freedom. So here's a question to ask. 
is there division between you and the world? This division that Jesus wants to be there, is that division between you and the world? That is, does your, does your love for Jesus Christ distinguish you? Not that we're proud about it or we're trying to be noticed, but does your humble love for Jesus Christ, does your love and care for people of every race, does that distinguish you? Does, does your forgiving of other people distinguish you? Does your perseverance and hope in the midst of trial, does that distinguish you? Does that show a difference between you and, and lost people? Or, or is there no division between you and the people of the world? Is there, there no difference that people can see in the way that you live versus the way that other people live? And that's easy to, to drift back in. I mean, it's easy. It's hard to be divided from family members, right? And family members can kind of draw us back in, into their worldliness. Friends can draw us back, right? We, we all experience this from time to time. So that's why we need to ask ourselves, is there this Jesus-brought division, this Jesus-brought difference between the way I'm living and the way that my friends who don't know Jesus are, are living? Here's another question to ask. Do you sometimes hold back from sharing the gospel because you're afraid it's going to cause division? Because you're afraid that the person might not respond well and that there will be some kind of a breach in your, in your relationship. Now, let's be sure we don't produce unnecessary division by the way we share the gospel. Uh, don't share the gospel when you're supposed to be working at your job. Okay, that's not right to do. Just work at your job. Maybe ask somebody, hey, can we have coffee afterwards? And then after you're done working, when you're not, not on the clock anymore, you can talk about Jesus. So don't create unnecessary division. But we should never hold back from sharing the gospel for fear of division. We never should. So let's share the gospel boldly. Let's share the gospel humbly. Let's share the gospel wisely, but let's share the gospel. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And, and if there's division, remind yourself, Jesus said this would happen, and he is worth it all. So here's the first warning Jesus gives to us. Jesus brings division. Second, loving warning is understand the present time. Verses 54 to 56, powerful verses. Verse 54, he, Jesus, also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Now, Jesus' listeners knew how to interpret the weather, okay? They knew that if you look to the west, which was towards the Mediterranean, if, a, if there was a cloud arising there because of all the evaporation of water, if there was a, a cloud arising in the Mediterranean, it's going to come and it's going to bring rain on their land. That's what clouds do when they come over from the Mediterranean. 
They also knew that when a wind was blowing up from the south, okay, from the Arabian Peninsula, we all know about the Arabian Peninsula, right? From like the Saudi desert, this is going to be a scorching heat. We have felt that scorching heat, right? So they knew how to interpret the weather, but they did not know how to interpret their present time, the present time in history that they were in. They, they were ignoring what they had been seeing, especially what they'd been seeing in Jesus. I mean, Jesus was before them, which should have changed everything. So what, what should they have seen, or what had they seen in Jesus? They'd seen Jesus before their very eyes, teaching with power and authority. They'd seen Jesus forgive the sins of a paralyzed man. Remember that story? Son, your sins are forgiven. And then they saw Jesus heal his paralysis. Astonishing. They'd seen Jesus cast evil, oppressive spirits out of people, completely transforming these people, freeing these people, liberating these people. Miraculous work. They'd seen Jesus with five loaves of bread and two fish feed 5,000 people. An amazing display. This is God in the flesh working these miracles. They'd seen Jesus stop a raging storm with a word of command. Be still. Stopped. And they'd seen Jesus raise from the dead a widow's only son, moved by his compassion for her. So they'd seen all of this. and So they should have therefore understood the present time. They should have known the Messiah is here. God has come to earth. Emmanuel, God with us, God is here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which all the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing toward, He is here. We can be forgiven. I need to trust Him. Be cleansed from my sins. Turn from my sin. Trust Jesus. I need to urge other people to turn and trust Jesus and be forgiven for their sins so they can be reconciled to God. The Messiah is here. I need to understand the present time. But that's what they did not do. They saw all of that and they chose to remain blind to it. They should have understood the present time. So ask yourself, do you understand the present time? Do you understand the time that we are in right now? Imagine that, that you were a student of, you, you observed geology and the ocean, watching tidal you know, wave stuff, geology stuff, tectonic shifts and that sort of thing, and, and all of a sudden you, you see, as from what you're watching, that a huge earthquake is taking place to the east of us in the Indian Ocean. And that you know this means that a huge tidal wave, a tsunami, is on its way towards Abu Dhabi. Mile high, massive tidal wave is going to come and just going to crash over the whole peninsula here. It's going to be absolutely devastating. But you know that you, you've, you have time. Everybody in Abu Dhabi has time to, to head to the western region, to, to head west, to, to get out of the way. You know that's the case. Now, if you understood all that stuff, and if you really understood the present time, what would you do? Uh, what's on TV? It's been a while since I've checked Facebook. What's going on on Facebook? Just, you know, go to work, just do the, the usual thing, usual conversations. How's it going? Oh, how's your weekend? Oh, mine was good, thanks. 
Is that what you would do? Not if you understood the time. If you understood the present time, you would do everything you could. Listen, look at these charts. There's a massive tsunami coming. We have time. Let's head west. Tell everybody. Let's go. Come on. Pack up your cars. We're driving. No, no, no. Listen, this is serious. Look at this. Come on. Let's go. You would do everything you possibly could to go yourself and get as many people to come along with you, wouldn't you? If you understood the present time. What does that have to do with us? There is a tsunami of God's wrath coming. It's coming. It's absolutely certain. And there is a Savior, Jesus, who can save us. He can save you, save your neighbors, save those you work with, save your friends, save your family members. There is a tsunami coming, and there is a Savior who can save. So, are you turning to Jesus with all your heart? And are you doing everything you can to help others turn to Jesus and be saved? Do you understand the present time? That's the second warning that Jesus gives. Loving warning. Understand the present time. One more warning. Settle your account with God. This is verses 57 to 59. Verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right, Jesus says? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until, get out until you have paid the very last penny. So this is a little parable here, and the point of parables is to figure out what's, what's the main point, and, and the main point is to settle with your accuser. It's pretty clear. Settle with your accuser. But what does that mean? And commentaries kind of divide into one of three camps, one of three views. Some think this means we should be sure to settle our account with Satan, with the devil. The problem with that, though, is that nowhere in the Bible are we told to settle our accounts with the devil. He is called the accuser of the brethren. That's why people think this might be the case. But, but nowhere are we told we should settle accounts with him. We owe him nothing. So I don't think that's the right answer. Others think it means we should be sure to settle our accounts with other people that maybe we've wronged in some way, we've hurt in some way, so settle those accounts before it's too late. And, and that's, that's possible, but, but it just doesn't seem to fit very well into the context here of the of focus on the second coming. So I, I go with those commentators, this is most of them, that teach that the point is we should settle our account with God before it's too late. Settle our account with God. We're all moving towards the final judgment. History is moving us towards final judgment, and we all owe God a debt, a massive debt for our sin. Do you realize that? That, that you've owed God a massive debt for your sin that you could never pay for by yourself. Hopeless for you to pay, out, pay that off by yourself. But Jesus said, I have come to give my life as a ransom. Jesus come, came to pay the debt of sin for all those who would trust him. When Jesus died on the cross, he 
paid for the sins of all who would trust him, which is why at the end, at the very end on the cross, he said, it is finished, which meant paid in full. Stamped, paid in full, stamped on the, on the bill. So Jesus says that he paid the debts. And the way we have that happen for us so that our debt is paid is by trusting him, by trusting Jesus, by relying on him, depending on him to forgive us, depending on him to change us, depending on him with his presence to satisfy us. We are relying on him, depending upon him. We are trusting him. That's faith in Jesus. That's how we have that debt be paid through Jesus' death on the cross. And if we're trusting Jesus, then we will not be cast into the prison of hell, but we will be welcomed into the the paradise of heaven. So ask yourself, have you settled your account with God by trusting Jesus? Have you? Now, there's some ways we can think we go about settling our account with God that aren't really accurate and that don't settle our account. Let me mention some of them just because I want to make sure that we're all clear here on how to have your account be settled with God. We don't settle our account with God by just agreeing to certain truths about Jesus. This was me for the first 17 years of my life. I would have gotten an A on any doctrinal test, I think. I mean, not that I was so smart, but I, I just agreed. I, I, yes, I, that's true, that's true, that's true, but I wasn't trusting Jesus. The demons know all the doctrines, but they're not trusting Jesus. And so if you agree with all the doctrines, but you're not trusting Jesus, relying on him personally from your heart, depending upon him to forgive you, to satisfy you, to guide you, if you're not trusting Jesus, then your account is not settled with God. You owe a debt that you could never repay. So don't just settle for agreeing to doctrines, as important as it is to agree with doctrines. Also, we don't settle our account with God by going to church. You can go to church every Friday or every Saturday or every Sunday, depending on what country you're in and when it's happening. You can go to church all the time. But if you're going to church and you're not personally trusting Jesus, your account will not be settled before God. You will owe a hell's worth of punishment. But listen, there's a way that your account can be settled by turning from your sin and trusting Jesus, from the heart, depending upon Him, relying on Him. Also, we don't settle our account with God by trying to be a good person. You could never be good enough to settle your account. And just one last one, you you don't settle your account with God by having your parents trusting Jesus. Okay, young people, if your parents are trusting Jesus, then their account is settled with God. But your account is not yet settled with God if it's just them who are trusting Jesus. Are you trusting Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and bent the knee before him, got down before him and said, Jesus, I need you. I trust you. I need a savior. I'm I'm facing judgment. I have sinned. I need you to fill me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to guide me and to forgive me. And from that moment on, paid in full is what will be on your bill, stamped on your bill. So, everyone, listen. See who Jesus is. Came into history. Look at his power. 
Look at his love. I mean, his compassion in coming, becoming a man, going to the horrors of the cross because he loves you and because he loves me. Suffering, dying, paying for our sins. Look at the mercy and the compassion and the love of Jesus and turn from sin. Sin is worthless compared to the joys of knowing Jesus. Turn from sin, put your trust in Jesus, rely on Him, depend upon Him. He will pour His love out upon you. He will fill you with the joy you've been looking for all your life, and you know that you're, you will know that your debt has been paid in full because you're trusting Jesus. So, every one of you, please listen. Three loving warnings that Jesus gives us in this passage. First of all, Jesus brings division. Don't be surprised when there's division. But is there division between you and lost people? He brings division. Secondly, understand the present time. See what's happening and that the second coming is soon to take place and we need to be ready and responding and living in accord with that. And then third, settle your account with God by turning from your sin, by putting your trust in Jesus. And listen, if you've never done that before, now is the time, right now. Turn from your sin, put your trust in Jesus, ask him to forgive you, to change you, to fill you, to help you, and he will. And you will leave here with your account paid in full and your life will never be the same. Let's stand and pray. Father, I pray that you would deeply grip our hearts with these three warnings that you gave us through your Son, Jesus. Help us to live with all our might for you and your glory so that there will be a difference between us and those who aren't following you, and help us not hold back from sharing the gospel for fear of division. Lord, help us to understand the times that we're living in and to see eternity, to see judgment, to see heaven and hell, and to trust you, Jesus, with all our heart and to help others come to know you. And then, Lord, help us to settle our accounts with God. Anyone here who's not yet turned and put their trust in Jesus, Lord, now have that happen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.